Welcome back to Yeah, that can't be good. A rewatch podcast of the sci-fi original series Eureka. Let's get going. Hey, it's Doug with the TV Guide Synopsis. Season 4, Episode 20. One Giant Leap. In the Season 4 finale, Carter and Joe respond to a mysterious attack on the presidential convoy. Goodbyes are exchanged before the Astraeus mission is launched and cosmic anomalies threaten Eureka. Creators Jamie Paglia and Andrew Cosby, written by Jamie Paglia and directed by Matthew Hastings. Original air date, September 19th, 2011. We set our sights on Titan, and many thought it impossible, but that's what we specialize in at Global Dynamics. Today is the day all of Eureka should be proud of. This is our moment in history. Hi, we're back with Season 4, Episode 20, One Giant Leap. I'm here with my co-host, Doug Gramley. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. It's finally launch day for the Astraeus. I'm sure you're thrilled. Thank God. <laughs> Allison is still thinking about moving in with Carter. Fargo and Holly discussed their first time while boarding the ship, and they discussed Titan being their first location. Yeah, I, I don't know. I know. We're, Again, I'm so tired of that whole thing. I know you are. So that's why I kind of just flew over it, because you get uncomfortable. It's just annoying. Do it already. <laughs> You're about to go off into space. They have stuff to do to prepare themselves. While everybody's trying to do work, they're in the middle of the hallway of the spaceship making out. You know, guys are walking by with important stuff, and I would have been like, can you guys, you know, go move, go go someplace else, please? Get a room? Even though he's not the director of GD at the moment, he is the director of GD. Right, yeah. I guess back in 2000, whenever it aired, 2011, this wasn't a hot-button topic. I get it. Show some restraint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're finally getting to see the inside of the ship. Allison and the crew are gathered for a biopod demonstration. Yeah. Parrish designed the gel that will keep their body temperature and body intact during the flight. Because I guess not only do they need to keep their temperature intact, but the flight being faster than light is hard on the body. Yeah. So Fargo and Parrish get snarky with each other as usual. So once your oxygen mask and monitors are attached, the chamber will fill with stasis gel designed by our own Dr. Parrish. The gel will maintain your core body temperature, and it will also buffer the high G-forces that we expect to occur during the acceleration and deceleration pulses. We wouldn't want anyone to turn into a pancake upon arrival. It's a shame your goo's going to tighten without you, Parrish. It's quite all right, Dr. Fargo. I whipped up a very special batch just for you. See, right there, I would not be messing around with the person that's supposed to try and keep me safe. Exactly, yeah. He can't control himself. He can't not say anything snarky to him. Yeah. Neither one can control themselves. Right. But Parrish is the one who's keeping them intact, and Fargo's being a jerk to him. Allison also points out that there's emergency life support seats. That would be their best chance of getting to Titan alive if the pod should fail for any reason. Right. You but know, I have a feeling like if you're traveling that fast and your pod fails, I don't think you're going to be able to get out of your pod and make it to the other room. Right. It looked like there was only one seat there. Yeah, I know. So is it first come, first serve? I mean, if it's <laughs> like, are, are you screwed if uh, there's somebody already sitting down? And she does say seats, plural, but yeah, when she has to go put herself in one, yeah. there was only that one. I don't know. Maybe this is just nitpicking. I had a real problem with the texture of the wall in the pod room. Why? What was it? I didn't notice. It was like a popcorn ceiling type texture. Oh, really? Yeah, it looked like a, like a stucco wall or something. Oh, I didn't it, even notice. I mean, yeah, you look look at it. It just looks 
I mean, I've never built a spaceship before. It looked like it was just drywall. See, I didn't even... bothered me. I was like, that that doesn't look right. That that just looks like it's a room in a house. I didn't even notice. All I could think of is you're being closed in in one of these things, and that would be the end of it for me. No, I would have I walked in. I would have saw the popcorn texture on the walls, <laughs> and I would have turned around and walked right back out. <laughs> okay, Joe visits and gives Fargo, who's a little nervous, a pep talk about how much he's stepped up to the position, which is true. Yeah. Even though Parrish is always giving him speeches about, you know, how he was just handed this job, favoritism and blah, blah, blah. Fargo kind of knows it's true, even though it's not the same Fargo that was handed the job. Right. He's never actually admitted that he was just handed the job, although he has stepped up to it. Well, I think he may have mentioned earlier that he was just given the job and he wasn't ready for it, but since taking over, yeah, I think he's done everything that he that he can do. Right. I think when he said he was not ready for it, I think he was panicking. Yeah. Because he wasn't ready for it because he had no idea he was the director of GD. He just got tossed in there. Apparently, in that original timeline, he was just handed the job. Yes, yeah. And I don't think there was anything in his head that thought he wasn't ready for it, because that's just how Fargo is, until he got thrown into it from a different timeline. She does say, you know, when's the last time you pushed a button, except for the spaceship, although he didn't do that. Yeah. Grace and Henry are excited that it's lunch day and talk about being apart for six months. Carter shows up and acts like he's never seen anyone kiss before. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to do it all the time with Allison. Right. But apparently he was offended by what uh, what they were doing. Right. So he's just in time to see them power up the big-ass battery, as Grace puts it, otherwise known as the FTL ion reactor. Senator Wynn shows up, and she tells them that a special guest is coming for the lunch. I totally forgot about this. Yeah, I don't know. I could have done without it. Well, we cut to the motorcade, which looks very presidential, so apparently their surprise guest is the president. Carter's excited that the president is coming to town, and he also learns that his PDA is equipped with a camera. So Carter's taking pictures with his newfound camera when the lead car explodes, or it's hit by something. The Secret Service agents jump out, and the president's car is hit by another ray. It's kind of like sliced in half. Yeah. Carter and Joe run to the car, and they pull out some guy that Carter keeps yelling isn't Obama, and he just can't, (laughs) can't get past that. Well, yeah, that's the worst part. No matter what happens after this, he can't get past that they sent a faux Obama. Faux Obama. But Joe realizes this must be the advance team they send to check out and test security. Allison shows up and scans the area. She says it wasn't a laser, but a charged particle burst. Now, see, they're following your instructions and they're checking the video. What video do they check? They're going to need satellite imagery to tell them where it came from. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. See? So Allison's going to have Wine cancel the president's visit. She doesn't think it has anything to do with the launch. They're treating it as an assassination attempt. Earlier, Joe talked to Allison about something that she wanted kept just between them. We haven't been told what that was yet. But now Joe and Carter are following the satellite GPS, and Carter asks if she has something on her mind. Joe tells him that since Allison and her kids may be moving in, she's going to look for her own place. So she says she's going to look for her own place, which we know that's not what she's really going to do. But has she given up on her house entirely now at this point? I, I would assume so. Are they not rebuilding it again? I guess they're not, yeah. I thought they were rebuilding it for, I don't know, the third or fourth time, but I guess not. And the, the whole episode with 
Jack and Joe was a little weird, the way they were kind of acting with each other. Yeah, you're right. I didn't notice it until this time when I watched it. And I think I mentioned before, they're friends. They live together. Joe says farther down the line how Carter's her best friend. Yeah. Even though they say that and we know they live together, we, we see them together when they're working a job. Yeah. We don't see them together just being social. You know what I mean? And I think right. they tried to cram that all in to make sure yeah, we knew. a lot of time together. At right. House. It was almost like they were breaking up, like they were a couple. A little flirtatious. Um, you know, it wasn't like a mentor-mentee type thing. or. A... I think that's what they were trying to show us. And they were trying to cram it in in one episode. That yeah. they're best friends. And they're not mentor-mentee. They're friends. Right. And we haven't seen that. And I felt like they tried to cram all of that. So we realize that, oh, they, they've gotten a lot closer, which we should have been shown all along. Right. But we weren't. So now they're trying to shove it down our throats. Yeah. To make the end more, you know. Yeah. I mean, you almost forgot that she lived with him. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. And it seemed like they decided, they said, oh, my God, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't shown this relationship the way we want people to see it. Yeah. You know, for the end. So the end is that much more heartbreaking. <sighs> You're right. It, it's like they tried to cram it all into one episode, and it was kind of weird because we hadn't seen them behave that way, and now the whole episode was them behaving that way. Right. Does that make sense? No, no, it does, yeah. yeah. You know, Joe says she's going to get her own place, but Carter, it doesn't look like he believes that's all of it, all of what's on her mind. Yeah. So they find a trail of fire and a burned-up death ray, as Carter calls it. And the name on the death ray is Plotkin. And again, I remember the Dave Foley character, but for some reason I didn't think it was in this episode. I don't know why. I thought it was a whole different episode. I think everything starts to blend together, and I'm, I don't remember what's in what episode anymore. Plotkin seems to be another one of those characters that we've talked about before, who lives out in the woods, who used to do one job, and now thinks it's the worst thing he's ever done in his life, and now he's living in the woods. Although he's not as depressed as the... Fly fishing guy? Yeah. I know, I remember that guy. Yeah. But he's still one of those guys that we don't know why they're living in the woods. Do they work for GD? Did they used to work for GD? Apparently they, at some point, had some connection to GD, but we don't know if he still works for GD. I don't think he ever said. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I mean, I'm assuming he still does. So, anyway, this guy's all living out in the woods, and they tell him that his death ray almost killed foe Obama. But Plotkin insists that his ray is a life ray that stores energy from its surroundings, and it couldn't have done this. But Carter notices a bomb closet, and Plotkin tells him that's his old life, and he's now all about positive energy. So they find out that there's 15 more of these rods. That's all they call them, right? Rods? Yeah. I think Carter made a face when, when the guy was explaining yeah. to him the science, and I think I made the same face. Because I was just like, I, I'm, this is... Yeah, because I didn't even... my head. The, yeah, I think they're just rods. From rods. now, Yeah, from now on, they call them rods. I don't think they yeah. call them whatever. Um, they find out that there's 15 more spread around Eureka. Joe has to strong-arm him to tell them where the rest are planted. This shows Carter's growth a little bit. He was man enough to leave the room. Let, and let Joe handle it. Uh, yeah, and leave her to be the scary one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was kind of cute. Allison brings Kevin to see the inside of the Strayus, 
And she takes this opportunity to ask Kevin about moving in with Jack. And she's all worried about what his answer is going to be. And his only concern is whether or not Sarah will clean his room. Right. Allison says yes, so he's in. Joe Carter and Plackin show up at one of the rod sites to find Taggart, who's collecting samples of some sort of river creature. It's apparent that Plackin and Taggart know each other and don't get along. Yeah. Just then, Taggart's truck just kind of takes off and flies away. It looks like it's being sucked into something. So Plackin insists that his rods could not do that. But Carter wants them turned off just in case. But there's no, like, manual main switch, so they have to go find each one of them and turn them off one at a time. Yeah. Joe volunteers to go with Carter, which Carter doesn't understand because Julie hates to do things like that. And Taggart and Platnik basically get into a fist fight. Yeah, wouldn't you think that you would say, okay, here, Joe, you go with Taggart, I'll go with the other guy? That's exactly what I wrote just, down. Who, just I know. To make sure that uh, they don't you know, kill the job e- actually gets done. Right, and that they don't kill each other. Right. But he sends them together as a team. Right, because what you're doing is you're sending two non-scientists out there to try and figure out, um, I mean, I guess they they were told how to turn these things off, but... Right. And then you're sending two people who are already having fist fights before they even right. go off together. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wrote the same thing down. So back to the Astraeus. I'm happy that they made a woman the captain and that it was Grace, but she's so corny. Yeah, her speech that she makes didn't really, I don't know, wasn't very uplifting. But even just the way she walks in with her hands on her hips and she kind of poses, you know, she interrupts everybody. They all have to stop working so she could make the speech and she didn't really say anything. No, yeah. And Henry does that later, too. Henry always makes a speech, so you kind of expect it. Yeah, his speech later on. Yeah. He didn't walk in and pose with his hands on his hips like he's posing for a portrait. And <laughs> I laugh at that every single time. I mean, yay Eureka, I said this before, for picking a female captain. Yay them. But yeah. she's so corny. Fargo starts to worry about what can happen to them. And Holly being Holly, who doesn't really pick up on social cues, rattles off a list of all the ways they could die. <laughs> she meant when she said the mission will test us in ways we can't imagine well we could get incinerated during the flight or we could get trapped outside the titan habitat and be asphyxiated in the toxic atmosphere well we'd well, probably be frozen solid first or maybe she just meant it metaphorically yeah maybe jack and joe are out looking for the rods they talk about allison moving in carter tells joe that he's going to miss her around the house and they talk about Zane a little bit. Joe says that she feels there's something else for her, but she just doesn't know what it is. Again, I think she's way overreacting. Yeah, I didn't get it, the whole thing. Her thinking that she's trying to prove herself to somebody, okay, maybe it made sense with going into space, the astronaut thing, but being at Eureka, working, this is what she's always done before Carter got there. You know, so why all of a sudden now she thinks that she's trying to prove herself? Right. I mean, and everybody, I guess, at one time or another wants to find themselves, but she just seems to be taking it to the extreme. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we don't know how much of an extreme she's taking it to, but I don't know. It's just weird that all of a sudden she realizes that she's she spent her life trying to keep up with her brother, that everything is wrong with her life. Yeah. Also, I feel like the head of GD security can't just pick up and walk away like that. Right. There's got to be some sort of protocol in place. True. 
Senator Wen tells Henry how sorry she is that he can't go on the mission. And while she's talking to him, he finds a minor power drain. She seems concerned. He says there is enough power to launch, but Henry holds the countdown clock to repair the drain. Wen makes it clear that the launch has to happen, and taking a page from General Mansfield says the future of Eureka depends on it. <laughs> we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. So Carter and Joe have collected and shut down all the rods. They stop at Cafe Diem where it looks like Vincent is preparing a launch party. The walls start moving and getting swirly like when um, the Jeep disappeared. Uh, not the Jeep, yeah, Taggart's Jeep. Yeah, Taggart's So they evacuate Cafe Diem just before the whole thing is sucked away just like Taggart's Jeep. Henry and Allison think that what they saw was a black hole, and that would explain the limo being sliced and Taggart's Jeep disappearing as well. Taggart learns, and not Taggart, Carter learns that black holes do pop up everywhere, but they're usually too small to be seen and dissipate quickly. Something is causing them to stay long enough to grow and cause damage. They know there's some sort of energy source feeding the black holes. Henry thinks it's connected to the power drain they just discovered. This is a little confusing. Whatever the power drain is may have charged the atmosphere so that Plotkin's rods attracted the black holes. And the atmosphere is charged now, so it doesn't matter that the rods have been shut down or the leak has been fixed. Does that make sense, what I just said? Uh, it didn't make sense to me when they were explaining <laughs> it. still doesn't make sense to me, but I think you're right. But it was coherent? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Apparently these black holes are going to keep coming because the air is charged with something. Yeah, black holes are bad. Right. Yeah, I should have just did that instead of trying to write all this down because I just don't really understand it. So Carter suggests using the rods to lead the black holes out of town. Let's just give them to somebody else. Um, Henry yeah. suggests... Right, just let's... Yeah, good idea. <laughs> Henry suggests placing them around the lake so the black holes will run out of steam on their own. Joe visits Zane to say goodbye in case she doesn't get to see him before liftoff because, you know, of all the stuff going on. After she leaves, he says, take care, Jojo, pretty much to no one. The way he says it, it looks like he thinks it's over with them. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. Meanwhile, Carter is supervising, but mostly yelling at Plotnik as he's placing the rods around the lake. He turns them on, and we could see all the black holes forming over the lake. Back at GD, or the spaceship, Fargo decides to tell Holly he loves her, just in case something should happen during the launch. Holly gets flustered, but it's a good flustered. That was cute. Budget. I know you're not impressed. That was cute. For them, there was no innuendo. There was nothing. It was cute. Eh, we'll move past this. Well, let's hear an awe anyway. Nah. <laughs> they decide not to wait for the real Titan. Right. See, I just glossed over that. Back at the lake, more black holes are forming. But instead of dissipating, they seem to be combining into one large black hole. Carter's taking pictures while people are running for cover. Yeah, this is the best part of the episode. <laughs> and the way Allison looks at him <laughs> right when they go back to GD and yeah. he's showing her the proof of the giant black hole now that's formed right pretty much almost all of the pictures are taken with the lens facing him so right yeah, yeah which is fantastic but the best part was when 
he gets to a picture, you don't actually see what it was, but he gives himself like a little chuckle. You're like dying to know what that picture right. was. And, and they don't show us. But he was actually able to get one picture of the black hole. Yeah. So now they're saying waiting for it to dissolve on its own because it's so huge would give off a gamma ray burst that will destroy Eureka. Carter suggests forcing it to dissipate with a smaller boom. I don't really know what that means. I, I mean, I know what that means, but I don't know where he comes up with that. Allison doesn't think that's possible. They would have to set off an antimatter bomb or shoot it with a gamma ray laser. Carter suggests antimatter because he remembers that they have antimatter from when the bank disappeared. Although he doesn't say it very... He says grandma. That's right. He just, he can't get it all out and it doesn't make right. any sense. Ant- antimatter, we have that. The, um, uh, um, grandma uh, had, had uh, the, the penny trap at uh, the floating bank. Penny trap? Yes. And we got it here in secure containment. Yeah, so we grab that, we throw it in the hole, and they say. In theory, the problem is the delivery system. Any conventional bomb casing will spaghettify and detonate too soon. Joe has to translate and tells them that they have the antimatter in a secure area. But they have to figure out how to get it inside the black hole. And you can see Dr. Plotkin trying to ignore the whole conversation because, of course, again, there's somebody who's living in the woods who used to do something that they don't want to do anymore ever again, but to save the world, they still don't want to help. But he does eventually. And it took a lot less talking into than the the fishing guy in the woods. Yeah. You know, but it's still the same thing. It's just... The world's going to end, and I'm the only one who knows anything about how to fix it, but I'm not going to help. I'm not going to do it. Yep. Right, because I'm depressed, and I'm, I don't do that anymore. Carter has to be the delivery person, and he has to wing it as to how close he has to be for it to launch. He gets to the lake with the bomb in the back of his Jeep, and then he has to run it as close to the lake as he can. So he's backing up, and they're communicating with him over the phone. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and all of a sudden, they lose reception, or he loses reception, they can't get to him. Mm-hmm. And all they say was, oh, we lost him. How do you know that he didn't get sucked up in this black hole? <laughs> they don't. They don't. Wouldn't there be a little more sense of urgency, like, oh my God, what happened? Right, exactly. But I've said that before. All these times when Carter's, like, fighting gravity or trying to get to a power station with, you know, high winds and lightning, all they do is yell at him. If he's not there yet, they're not concerned that he's dead. Right. They're concerned that, why didn't he get there yet? Yeah. Oh, we lost him. And the same thing here. They don't think, oh, what if the Jeep and him got sucked into the black hole? Yeah. I know. That's why it's funny that your favorite Warren didn't approve their relationship in the first place, because half the time, Allison couldn't care less what's going on with him. She's yelling at him when he's not doing something fast enough where he could be dead. Or the time he fell off the bridge and she said, I got a notification that you might have broken ribs. And she yelled at him. She didn't care he had broken ribs. She yelled at him because the spikes in his medical thing were bothering her. Right. So he drags it as close as he can and takes off running back to his Jeep. We can see the black hole taking, I can't ever say that, buoy? Buoy. The buoy, if that's what that was. That red thing, because first I thought that was the rocket the first time I looked at it. Then I realized that the rocket didn't launch yet. So it was taking the buoy, and he's trying to get back to the Jeep. He stops to close the trunk. I don't know why, because that always drove me crazy. He has to hold on to the rack on top to keep from being sucked into the hole. So he manages to climb across to the front of the Jeep and onto the ground right as the rocket launches, and his Jeep is sucked away. So I guess the suction ended in front of his Jeep. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's not how black holes work. I could be wrong. I don't know, but it's just, how could it be so suctiony when he's holding onto his Jeep, but when he rolls onto the ground, right. he's able to get up and run with no problems. Yeah. The rocket launches and his Jeep is sucked away. The black hole dissipates and Carter's Jeep comes crashing into the lake. So it's launch time and everyone is boarding the ship and doing last minute checks. Parrish comes to offer to take anyone's place, but he does it nicely. At first, I mean, well, I mean, at first they're still a little snarky with each other. Well, they are, but Parrish came in there nicely. He didn't come to make it. Oh, yeah, no, he, yeah. Yeah. Right. He offers to take anyone's place. He was joking, but he said it nicely. It wasn't him being jerky. But Fargo says something like, it must be tough, you know, but he says it not nicely. No. Like, sarcastically. And then he feels bad after seeing Parrish's face, and he tells him that he is part of the mission, and his stasis gel made all the difference. So, I didn't get this. Parrish calls him Todd. Why does he call him Todd? Calls who Todd? Parrish. He calls Fargo Todd. He says Fargo's first name? Douglas. He called him Todd? Yeah, I'm positive. And the closed captioning said Todd. He said, good luck, Todd, or something, or thank you, Todd. And then he says, try not to die up there. He said that, but it still wasn't snarky. It was him being nice, really. Yeah. But I don't know why he called him Todd. I don't know. You don't watch it with closed captioning? No. Maybe it was just the closed captioning, but it sounded like he said Todd, too. Which is why I watched the closed captioning, because I thought I heard Todd. Allison's heading on board to get everyone in their pod beds, but she stops to talk to Carter and tell him that she does want to move in. And she also tells Carter that he needs to speak to Joe. We find Joe in the sheriff's office trying to write a note to Carter when he walks in. And apparently he sees her bag, so he realizes she's leaving or going somewhere. Mm -hmm. So she said she realized over the past few months that she does everything to prove herself to everyone and not for her. And she needs to figure out what she wants. And she can't do it there. Carter tells her that he hopes she comes back soon. And then we have the whole montage as Rocket Man plays. Joe drives away, Henry and Grace saying goodbye, Zane getting closed up in the pod bed. And, you know, we keep flashing. So Joe driving away, and she passes Taggart on the road, who seems to know that she's going on a walkabout. So my question here is, yes, okay, maybe she's taking things to the extreme, and she's going on a walkabout, and she's leaving town to find herself. But all of your friends are going to be shot into space. Wouldn't you stay? In 30 minutes. Yeah. Wouldn't you stay just to make sure everything's okay? Uh, I would think. And you can't wait 30 minutes before you leave town? Yeah. Not to give spoilers, spoilers, but, you know, we find out in future episodes it's a walkabout, so she doesn't even bring her phone. Yeah. So she is just out of contact with everybody? I think it was one of those things where it seemed like it was uh, they needed to change something up with her just for the sake of changing. Yeah. It didn't really take... Yeah, I don't know. I think the whole thing's ridiculous. I get she wants to find herself, so go on vacation. Bring your phone in case one of your friends dies or something so yeah. somebody can contact you. I do feel like, you know, she went. we went through the whole season of her, almost the whole season, of her mourning over the loss of Zane and that relationship. And then she just turns around and changes everything. You know, she gets the relationship back, then she doesn't know if she wants it, and... I, right. She was so excited to find that she was the head of GD, and now she's re- willing to walk away from that. Yeah. And whatever. So Fargo tells Allison that he'll be coming back, not to get too comfortable as the head of GD, and she closes him up in the pod. Carter makes it back in time for liftoff. Henry makes the speech. 
Allison closes all of the pods and notices that liftoff has begun, or all the lights go on in the pod room. Henry can't make it stop, and Allison can't get off the ship. Then they realize that someone else has taken over controlling the launch, and they've changed the direction, the coordinates or something. So Jack runs out to try to get Allison out of the ship, and he tries to break... What are those? The cooling something or others? Yeah, they, uh, what was it, like they push cool air or something to the reactor, overheating. And if it overheats, that might shut down the launch, but it doesn't. So Allison gets herself into a jump seat, and the Astraeus launches. Pretty much nobody has any idea where it went, where it launched to, because they know somebody else was controlling it. Now, as as a cliffhanger, this is a really good cliffhanger, Um, and I'm assuming that they knew that they were re-signed for another season. The way I remember it is they knew that they were going to get two more seasons. Okay. And then they got hoodwinked. I mean, because you never really know if, you know, if you you actually do get another season and then they backtrack and and decide not to. This would have been a terrible, I mean, an awful way to, I mean, obviously they would have had to come back with uh, and do like a, a, like a movie type thing just to wrap everything up but right but sometimes they don't let this was not a very good cliffhanger to leave at the end of a season i thought it was i don't like ones like this no had they shown them actually landing on titan at least you know that they're there but now you don't know if they'll be able to get back then i think that's like a decent cliffhanger i think it's more acceptable to just but to just leave it like this I mean, not not that it's a it's a bad way to end it. It's it's a frustrating way. Oh yeah, You're watching the series, you know, and then you have to wait for the next season, like that stuff, that that kind of stuff. I don't. Well, especially Eureka seasons, because when we were kids, well, when I was a kid, I'm not, I'm not putting you in my category. When I was a kid, <laughs> <laughs> when the show ended in May or June, it came back in September. Yeah, this is like a, you have to wait almost a year. A year. Yeah. I think at this point they thought they had two seasons to go. Then they decided that they were only going to have season five. They were given so many episodes, and then they lost some of the episodes. So where it would have ended had they not done that last episode, which we're not going to talk about now, but would have sucked. Yeah. I mean, it could have ended there, and it would have been an ending, but it it would have sucked. (laughs) I would have been mad. So did we miss anything? I don't think so. So this is season four finale. We're going to take two weeks off between season four and season five because we haven't had more than one week off between seasons since the break between season one and two. So we'll be back next week with the Christmas episode, Do You See What I See, to end season four, and then we will take those two weeks off before we start season five. See you soon. Well, that sucks. Please remember to follow us on our Facebook page, yeah, that can't be good, at facebook.com backslash Eureka Rewatch, or on Twitter at Eureka Rewatch. Links to information discussed during our podcasts will be added to our website at eurekarewatch.com. You can also listen to our podcast on Podbean. If you'd like to send us an email, please email us at eurekarewatch at gmail. We would love to hear from you. And we're now also available on Google Play.